Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Kishana Palmer. She's a mother, author, and a coach with a 17-year background in fundraising, marketing, and talent management. Kishana is the founder of the Rooted Collaborative, a global online community for women of color in fundraising. She's the author of Hey, I'm New Here, and the host of the podcast, A Shot of Vitamin K, an adjunct professor at Baruch College, a certified fundraising executive, a broad source certified governance trainer, and an AFP master trainer. When an organization wants to grow and find and retain their people for their team to raise money and more, she is the philanthropic fairy godmother that they have on speed dial. Her work isn't limited to organizations. She also coaches social good professionals. She is a survivor of the coronavirus and she is here to share her experience. So please welcome to the show, Kishana. Hey! <laughs> so Every time I hear any version of my bio, I sit forward like it's a different person. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, oh me. So yes, like, that is all you, girl. I was like, what does she not do? <laughs> what do I not do? You're right. I have an unfulfilled passion for interior design. And since I am the first generation American of a Caribbean family, I did not know that you could be a designer. And so it was the doctor, lawyer, right? Doctor, lawyer, engineer, nurse, business. Yeah, yeah. You know? (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know what? Honestly, (laughs) that stereotype that, you know, we see on TV about if you're Jamaican, you have 99 jobs. I was joking the other day on, on my Facebook, actually, where I was talking about, you know, I'm a team of one. I do all of my podcast producing, I do all of my designing, I do like my coaching, I do everything on my own. And people are like, yeah, your background, you must be Jamaican. Yes, you're like, don't you know, same here. And you know what's so funny, McKinney? Like, it was so hard for me to make my first hire. I've been in business 10 years. So just so you know, McKinney, listen, Kashana Co. so my, my management and consulting practice started as a joke, it was sort of like that. I used to be married, so it was like the if he ever leaves me money, okay. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, I was a full time practitioner at a um, at a nonprofit organization, and so started doing board trainings and leadership trainings on the side. And so, you know, that was the money I had, like my mad money account, you know, mm-hmm. that I know <laughs> access that it would move from my, my savings to my check-ins. Um. <laughs> I have to laugh because I like, 
I mean, we've only been like two minutes into this interview and I'm thinking everything that you said so far, I could totally relate already because when I was married, I had my mad money Yes, <laughs> and, and that was my kickoff to my entrepreneurial journey as a, as a real estate agent and paying all of my fees and all of my, <laughs> my yes. licensing stuff and getting my, my um, lessons in. So I'm, I'm just laughing with you girl, because this is the beauty of this podcast, hearing each other's stories and how we can relate before we jump into your full story. I love to actually start the show with an icebreaker question because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by. And like, I just read your bio and I'm like counting on my fingers how many titles you got, girl. So a title that I feel is not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. And I love to Google people's names before the show because I believe that when someone says your name, they're affirming who you are and your name is being said so many times a day. And I Googled Kashana and I couldn't find it. So I was like, I need to know. How did your parents come up with your name? Do you know what the the meaning is? I I need to know. These darn Jamaicans. (laughs) All I have to say. So first of all, Kashana is completely made up. Although in my 40, almost 41 years of life, um, I met another Kashana spelt almost as close as mine. Okay. So I was supposed to be Sean after Sean Connery. Okay. And my mom thought she was having a boy up until the day that she had me. And so I came out and I was a girl and my dad was like instantly in love. <laughs> and so then because to have to meet my father is to meet like, he's like the Jamaican man that's like, you have to be an original, you know, like, you don't believe in, like doing anything like anybody else. And so he could never, when I asked him um, a couple of years ago, dad, why didn't you just like, Name me Sean. Like, Sean is a unisex name. It's for boys and girls. He was like, oh, my goodness. I could never be original. And so he added all these darn extra SHs. And so instead of it being Sean, it was Kishana. And the big joke in my family is that um, if spelling my name was the final question on Jeopardy to, like, win the grand prize, we'd lose. We could not win Wheel of Fortune. There would be no games that we could win. And with spelling my name, my entire family would be uh, one of the challenge questions. So it's just unique. And I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything. I think my dad intended for me to be a conversation starter and, and for it to be a conversation piece. And it is. And Absolutely. so I tried to change the way my name was spelled McKinney so many times over the years. <laughs> The time I tried to take out one of the SHs so people could spell it properly. And she was like, your name is so special to me. Why would you try to change it? I mean, like, okay, forget it. So, <laughs> I am laughing so hard because, again, I can totally relate. Like, okay, I'm looking at the spelling of your name. So it's K-I-S-H-S-H-A-N-A. Did I get that right? You got that right. Okay. So as you're talking about wanting to change your name and all of those things, I mean, I grew up, and this is part of why I made this question a part of the podcast, because I actually grew up hating my name. I hated the name McKinney. And my parents had told me when I was little that it meant beautiful one. So, you know, anytime anyone asked me, oh, your name's so unique, what does it mean? And I would say beautiful one. And they'd say, oh, you know, it describes you. And I'd blush and carry on about my way. But I couldn't stand my name. Kids made fun of me. I got called everything under the sun. Bikini, zucchini, whatever, you name it. And when I changed schools in elementary school and I went to a new school, I told the teacher that I don't want to be called Bikini. And I told her she could call me by my middle name, which is Amina. But my parents, Jamaican, who got a lot of their kids' names from 
African descent, wanted to pronounce Amina, Amina. And I was like, no, <laughs> not having it. <laughs> You're not going to do it to me quite bad. No. Um. <laughs> but I have had everybody down to my own grandmothers that cannot spell my name right. <laughs> Why? Why can't they, they don't pronounce it right? They don't say it right. They call me Kashana. I'm like, first of all, there's, a, there's an I at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, <laughs> but I mean, like you said, well, we're both 40, correct? Yes. Okay, there you go. See, again, we can relate. So <laughs> 40 years of life, I've come to a point where I've I've now owned my name, which doing some digging found out that it was actually Swahili for strength of character. So Ooh. I've I've come to own it. But I just love how even something as simple as our names and the story of where they come from, how we can connect. I, I love it. So I would I would love to know, what did you want to be when you're a little girl? A wife and a mother. Mm. Let me tell y'all something. I have not one career aspiration. Okay. <laughs> I didn't dream about being nobody doctor. I didn't have dreams of owning my own business. I don't remember dreaming. I think I lived most of my childhood years in books, in romance novels. My dad, <laughs> poor man. He was of the mindset that, oh, at least she's reading. And I remember my fourth grade teacher, Miss Bradley, was like, Mr. Palmer, maybe you shouldn't give Kashana these types of books to read because, you know, they could, you know, really kind of um, make her think a little bit more maturely than she needs to. And he's like, ah, words are words. At least she's reading. Me and my, my fast ass in my mind. Okay. And then he touched my bosom. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking about being somebody, wife and mama, real early. Um, and both my my mom and my stepmom both work. My stepmom was a nurse. Isn't she just retired? My mom was a phlebotomist, and so they both were working. That was it. wasn't a thing like I like I saw it anywhere. But I just that's what I that's what I wanted to do. I didn't have any career aspirations, and yet I would make up all types of stuff when people ask me because you know you're supposed to have an answer. Mm-hmm. And so, the time I was little, my uncles and my aunts would tell me. Oh, Kashana's going to be a lawyer. Oh, she loves to chat. Oh, the child can chat. Oh, and what's a gifted orator? My parents didn't even know, Makini, that I could sing until I was 10. Okay? Oh, wow. Wow. They would, like, parade me around at church and at family gatherings. Kashana, Kashana, get up and do that poem I like. Why am I reciting poems? <laughs> <laughs> I don't memorize poems. I don't know. I, only Mother the Son is the only one I know by heart. By Lansing. <laughs> um, so I have... I didn't have that. I just did what I was told. I put one foot in front of the other. And it wasn't until I was 35, so about five years ago, this is five years post-divorce, that I started to realize, like, chick, you don't got hobbies? Pa- what are you passionate about? What you been mm-hmm. doing? Yourself. And mm-hmm. if my accomplishments, if you look at the people, when people recollect how I was as a kid, I was always on the go. I was class president. I was this, I was that. I was raising money. I was, I mean, I was, I went abroad as high school. I was always doing the stuff, Nikini, you know? Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't, if you didn't peek in a little bit, you wouldn't know that I was just doing. And I didn't know that I was just doing. So I didn't have a dream of being anything, not other than, because being a mother is super important. And if yes. you believe in marriage, being married and being a wife is super important. That that was the extent of it. I thought I was going to have three children. I have one. Um, <laughs> and be married to my boo forever. Uh, no. 
and having a business. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm so laughing with you because I'm like, oh, I, know. I, I have, I had three kids. <laughs> I had three kids. I played the role as a stay-at-home mom and wife for five years, and I'm divorced as well. So. Right. You're like, but I'm both. So now, when my friends are like, oh, you know, I want to have babies, I want to get married, I, I support all of the dreams that y'all have of, that you want for yourself. I also would like to say for the record that this stuff is hard any way you slice it. Yes, so absolutely. If you don't have some hobbies, get you some hobbies. If you don't absolutely. have hobbies, you find yourself. Because uh, life can be full but let me tell you what it is not easy street. And I, one thing I did differently and do, do, do differently with my daughter now, because of the question you asked me, Nikini is I push her in her dreams period. I was like, ma'am, I'm going to need you to be passionate about something other than, uh, ingesting content mm-hmm. and, so, you know, helping her to, to explore and to see life differently than I did is something that was really important to me. And I think sometimes I even go overboard. Uh, with her, she like rolls her eyes like, like, mom, just because you like something doesn't mean you have to monetize it, okay? Like, because <laughs> I'm always like, and you know, if you get really good at this skill, when you get to college, you'll be able to make your own money, you know? Like, yes. Just- <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, so I'm listening to how you are with your daughter, and even as you talk about, like, when you, I guess, discovered who you were after your divorce, all of those things, again, I can 1000% relate. I didn't look at who I was and what I was passionate about and what I enjoyed until after my divorce. And that's when I found Makini. That's who I realized who Makini was and explored the things that I love to do. And then with my kids, the same. I am very much that parent that pushes them to do whatever it is they're passionate about. There are a lot of people that may not agree, even with my parenting style. That's fine. But I've because I coach women today who have worked jobs for years and are miserable in their careers because they did what they they were told to do or what they were they thought they were expected to do. Absolutely. I see how hard that is to undo. I'm not trying to do that to my daughters. Not so I allow them, yes, allowing them to be creative and whatever it is that they love, I support. Like when I tell people that my eldest daughter is a tattoo artist, they're like, what? And my daughter was like, and when can I get my tattoo? Like, she is asking me, I always know, McKinney, and tell me if your daughters are like this. I know when when she's interested in something, by the number of times over the number of years, she asked me the same question. Absolutely. And so I already know my kid is going to be like tatted out, unless she gets her first tattoo and like totally hates it. So Uh, (laughs) I've decided I'm going to take her to get her first one because, you know, let's do this right the first time, ma'am. Okay. And so I love that your oldest daughter is a tattoo artist. That's amazing to me. Listen, both my daughters have sleeves. Okay. (laughs) My eldest, I was away in Paris. I was doing some mentorship and she told me that she got an apprentice job. I was like, okay, cool. I come back and this girl is gone every day. And then she said, well, you know, I, I'm doing apprentice at a tattoo shop. And I was like, okay. And one day I was out. I think I was working from a coffee shop, but I come home and I walk in the door and all I can hear is, I walk into my dining room and this little girl is sitting at my dining table doing a hat. What do you call it when the sleeve is on the leg? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I got to look this up. I was like, let us look. She was doing a tattoo on her thigh. And I thought, 
do they not have practice, wow. like practice skin or something? And she's like, no, the way we practice is on ourselves. Thanks. Yeah. So there's been, I, I had to actually ban her from putting any more tattoos on her sister because she's, she's very good at what she does. She's a creative, she's an artist. She can paint, she can draw, she can do lettering, she can do photography. Like Ugh. my kids are definitely creative. So I believe in her talent fully, but do I believe that her 18 year old sister should be a blank canvas? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to jump back into your story and I want you to share with us what actually inspired you to get into your work in fundraising. You know, so I went to college on a service learning scholarship, so basically a community service scholarship. So working in my community, doing service has been like super ingrained in who I am. And I've always been the one who like was hustling some sort of money as a kid. I was the one raising money with the UNICEF boxes. Um, if we needed to raise money at the church for an outing, I came in first. Like I was the kid and people were like, oh, her, because I just loved being able to do that sort of like the connection. And it felt like you win when you do that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so when I left undergrad, I did a brief stint in investment banking and realized that wasn't really for me and went back to grad school. And after um, I did my MBA program, the Asian stock market hit that year. And I remember there, I was going to go into marketing. There were uh, no jobs that I was qualified for because I was either over-degreed and under and, um, and not enough experience or too much experience for what I was applying for with my degrees, whatever. Right, right. And so I landed this job at a nonprofit writing grants. And then I moved into a project management role. And then I never could get out again. That was it. I was trapped. And so I I always say, like, I'm a recovering fundraiser. I'm like, every time I try to get out, the people drag me back. (laughs) So I have been, so I've been in this field um, since since after grad school because that's essentially where I sort of landed. And most people who end up like doing fundraising, particularly if they're going to do it professionally, sort of like slip and fall into that role. Mm-hmm. And my first few years, I think I'm a really good writer. So my grant writing was, was top notch, but I was trash in terms of being a professional. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of things were at, at play in that one, I really didn't want to work. And so back to that first question, right? Well, like, where did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, wife and my mother. Like, I was mm-hmm. not in nobody's workforce, but here I am with these couple of degrees, real smart and stuff. I might as well go and do something. And the man that I married did not believe that women should stay home. And so that was not a choice. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, note to self and others listening, please ask the questions that you want to know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because people will tell you the answers if you listen closely enough. And he said all the things that I needed to hear before I said, sure, I'll marry you and have your baby. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I like sort of slipped and fell into fundraising and just realized that I had always um, loved relationship building and getting people to like see their purpose and connecting with organizations they care about in their community where they live or work is a really good way to like live out your part of, you know, live out your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I commit to something, I commit to it. So, you know, that I am the person that will stay in a relationship too long. I'm staying in the house I live in right now too long. You know, I won't move from places because I'm just like, I made it, I made a decision and a commitment and I'm going to stay with it. And mm-hmm. so since I did that with my career, I decided really early on to get all the things that go with it. So the credentials, to get mentored, to join a professional organization, to get involved with that organization. And so if I'm going to do something, I'm all in. 
And I just found that I was really good at it really early on. And so most of my fundraising career has been spent working in organizations that are considered like fast growth organizations. So they spring up pretty much overnight. Um, they quadruple and are more in their budget over the course of a couple of years. You have to raise millions of dollars really quickly. So it's a really fast sort of like HOV lane kind of fundraising. And because of the kind of work I did, I was able to move up pretty quickly into the chief development officer, chief advancement officer, basically the head fundraiser of the organization. So my career has been pretty unique in that I sat on an executive um, team pretty Mm -hmm. much my entire career. And so that has given me a much wider purview into how talent and into managing people and into how companies and organizations work and into budgeting and into all of like the stuff um, that I don't know if I would have gotten that level of uh, access early mm-hmm. if I had something different. And it really shaped like who I am, but it was not without its lumps and its bumps, McKinney, okay? Um, you know, I spent most of my career as a fundraiser as the only Black woman and only woman of color in mm-hmm. my organization and definitely on my C-suite. Wow. And I didn't know there was anything wrong with that for a long time, you know, because we, we for, a, for a long time, we still do it. We're like, first to win such and such award, the first woman to get to such and such, the first man to do so and so. And so I grew up with that, like breaking barriers is a sign of success kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I carried that with me into the workplace. And so I didn't even recognize that I had turned, you know, some of the more institutionalized racism inward to myself, that I was literally absorbing it like a sponge. I did not realize that I had inherited and was playing out lots of dominant culture practices in the workplace that I was perpetuating and thought like, you know, I'm special. I I didn't say that out loud, you know, I'm too humble. (laughs) I'm very humble about that. Okay. But on the inside by myself, when the show Insecure came out, and Issa Rae would stand and talk to herself in the mirror. In the mirror yeah. What? I'm a rapper. Does she know me? She don't know my life, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I would talk to myself in the mirror about like, you know, you bad girl. But it came with what it came with. It came with being really isolated. It came with not making friends early on in my career. It wasn't until I went into consulting full time four or five years ago that I realized, oh, I have a kiddie's pool worth of relationships. They're all at my ankles, you know, just splashing mm-hmm. around. But I don't have, I'm not in the diving pool. I'm not on the other end of relationship building. And I would go to conferences when I first started speaking on the speaking circuit. And I would realize I didn't know anybody. And all the people knew each other and I didn't know them. And I was like, how did this happen? Because mm-hmm. um, I had literally been isolated at work and had been isolating myself. Um, and because there was so much stuff happening in my personal life. And we don't talk about that enough. I was, I was had a, a total storm happening in my personal life, literally all of my 20s and half of my 30s. And so it was affecting my ability to be present enough to make those connections. And so even though I stepped into my career sort of on accident, um, and I stayed because of, you know, that's sort of my personality to kind of stick with things. I built a career because I'm like, well, if I'm here, I'm going to win but not because I was like madly in love with the work or the missions or anything I was doing. Mm -hmm. You spoke to being isolated. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our present 
situation. We are almost, what, three months in into isolation, uh, self-isolation quarantine, because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And (laughs) uh, COVID-19 has taken over the world. And you happen to catch the virus and have survived from it. So I would love to know if you can share that experience with us. What was that like? Absolutely. I was in a classic Kashana cycle of doing the absolute most. <laughs> and and I was on on the road. I up until COVID really hit, I spoke probably once a week at a conference or, or did a training out. So I was on the road a lot. And I come back from a conference and, you know, did the whole like, oh, we the baby shower. All right, it's gonna be my last public appearance. Cause that's how we were treating it, right? It wasn't like stay inside. It was like, wait, before I go inside for a little while, let me be out. <laughs> I even went on a date, y'all, okay? Who knows the best gentleman that helped me along with my situation? But we're not going to blame him. So I'm just going to leave that gentleman alone for today. But I remember sitting on a conference call with some colleagues, and we were all on video, and I was like, is it me or is it hot in here? And they were like, well, man, we wouldn't know. And I was like, I think I'm hot. And that was a Monday. I got off that call, went upstairs, took my temperature. It was 101. I never get a fever, even when I get sick. Mm-hmm. But I get chronic bronchitis every spring. And so, and that's another, look, we could have a whole podcast about when your body is telling you to have many seats. Girl. You you just keep doing musical chairs. You know, so that's, but that's a different one. So I went to the Urgy Center the next morning because I tracked my fever um, probably for 12 hours from like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I was still tracking a fever, even with taking acetaminophen. And I knew to take that only because I have high blood pressure. Another, see, another podcast. All right. Mm. I'm on the low dose. Okay, y'all. I'm on the low dose, but it's fine. Um, I'm on the low dose. Okay. But I can't take Tylenol. So I was taking a acetaminophen. Anyway, I went and they were like, let us swab you up right now. Just, we're just going to go ahead and do it. And that was Tuesday. By that night, bikini, bikini, I saw the Lord. I saw Hare Krishna. Oh, gosh. I saw Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Goodness. Grandmother. I mean, at the number of people I saw that night in my dreams, my fever went to like 103.9. That was the highest. Wow. And it stayed that way. My poor child was like packing me in the bed with, you know, the uh, picnic cooler ice packs you use mm-hmm. when you go out. That's what yeah. So thankfully, I, I don't throw anything away, y'all. Okay. And no, this is not an episode of Hoarders, but they're very neatly in the summer bin. But she went and got all of them, put them in the freezer and packed me out. So she helped me break my fever and then got me moving. And so I was sick as a dog for probably three or four days fever. I lost my sense of taste and smell. Um, and sort of by accident, I use oils to when I take a shower. So I put on my oils and I was cussing this cheap ass oil that I'm using. I was like, I'm tired of buying this stuff. I'm going to have to get expensive oil because I thought the oil had lost its smell. Mm-hmm. Not that I had lost my smell. Wow. So sense of smell and taste gone for a week. But I sort of rebounded, Nikini, in that first week or so. So I thought I was better. So, Nikini, what do you think I did? You went out? No. Um, no. But I, I didn't <laughs> okay. do it at the house. No, I did not leave. I okay. did walk in the neighborhood. I live in an older neighborhood, so I walked early every morning, early morning, just to get um, some fresh air to get my lungs moving because my lungs mm-hmm. were hurting a lot. Um, but I went and I ran a whole conference. I participated in an online conference that had recently pivoted. I did three webinars, two podcast interviews in the, the week after I first got sick because I thought I was better. 
Okay, and, superwoman. Yeah, right, super, super silly. And <laughs> then what do you think happened? Boom, I was back under, like I had gotten a, a Mike Tyson knockout, okay? Mm-hmm. And was sick again for another month. Oh my goodness. So it came in waves. And the second time it was coughing my lungs. I couldn't make it up the steps. I mean, I had a low grade fever for two and a half weeks. It was just a mess. My energy was terrible. I felt like a narcoleptic. Like I would fall asleep in the middle of my sentence. Mm -hmm. And I just had to change everything up. And so in addition to already being, you know, hyper clean in the house, I was changing sheets every day and still trying to function. And it was a hard lesson for me as a business owner. You know, you talked about the fact that you are a one man band. And I had recently hired a full time team member right before this started, but had not made the transition to moving from a solo practitioner to running a small company. And that was super tough for her and for me. And it just revealed all of the spaces that I just did not have my systems quite together. People have a really good experience with me and with the business because I'm really focused on detail, but mm-hmm. the operationalizing of that was terrible. And so it has been a fight to get better. So now I feel like at two months out, I am, you know, 95% most days. Like today, my spirits are up. My energy's up. I went for a morning walk. I knew I was talking with you today. So I have a lot more energy, but mm-hmm. I might need a nap after this. Right, right. And that your is body, your body's still trying to recover. Exactly. And that did not happen to me before. I never took a nap. I could go for, oh, I don't know, hours and had like re- relentless almost energy. And that is not the case anymore. And my eyesight has changed. So I put a post up the other day on Facebook that I was like, you know, I went from like, you know, every day I'm hustling to, you know, every day is going to be what it's going to be today. And mm. that's the best I can do. And that's going to have to be enough. And I think that lots of people are experiencing some version of that. I think it's really hard for people who are like me, who are like super high performers, who are always in hyperdrive, who push themselves really hard internally. Like I don't need anybody else to push me. And you have to stop and you have to slow down and you have to reprioritize. And it has affected the way I parent. Like I am a fussy mama. I'm on top of my child for, uh, did you wash the dishes? Did you make your bed? Did you put it away? Put this back where you found it. I mean, you know the list. We just yep. secret tape of things. And let me tell you, some days I'm like, hey girl. And that's all I got. Right. So it has just changed the way I have been able to function in a really real way. Wow. Wow. I mean, you answered all the questions that I was thinking in my head. Like, how has that affected you as a mother? How has that affected your business? What were you thinking? Like, what were you feeling? All I can say is, wow. And thank God you're still here with us. Thank Thank God that you've recovered. Thank God you're still able to function. And thank you for even being open enough to come on and share that with us. I mean, there's so many people that have questions because they haven't had any direct conversation with anyone that has been able to recover from it. And you you may see stuff online, but, you know, thank you for giving us that detail of your experience. I can only imagine how scary that must have been going through that. It was so, so scary. And it was scary for me as having had it. It was scary for me because I lost a parent. Mm -hmm. Uh, this time my dad uh my stepdad passed from covid complications wow, my condolences. Uh, thank you during the same time 
thankfully that OG lived a good life, 86 years old in the game. Mm. So I, I have to hold on to that as a memory, but it's been so much loss and illness around me just from people I know in my social circles that I don't even know if I've really had time to process the grief right. and to what's really happening. What has been clear is that I have tried to do what I know how to do, which is work. It is my happy place. It is where I, I know I know what I'm doing. And so even to just be out of force bikini and to just like not quite like my mental faculties aren't there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fuzzy in ways that I've not been like, it just puts you off center and we can get like that when none of this is happening. Right. Like I, right. all of us been through a situation where we're like, so my brain stopped working for a little the bit. Brain fog. The brain fog. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And not knowing when that's going to like come on. It's so hard. And so I have felt like a failure because, you know, I'm launching new, I'm supposed to be launching new projects right now. Though they're not launching. I was supposed to be launching a new course. Mm, not happening. I canceled speaking engagements that moved to digital. Sorry, I don't have the energy. You know, my list is, have, but people from my Self-care list. Self care first. Yeah. They've written me emails like, are you okay? And actually, let me put my away message that says, no, actually, I'm not okay. Mm. And so, what is self-care for me? Like I've had to redefine what that even means because I realized that for a long time, self-care was actually like self-maintenance, mm-hmm. like my routine of maintenance. And I had an extensive routine, none of which is happening right now. Okay. Okay. None of it. None of it. And wow. so being able to so, so simple things, first world problems, being able to do my nails, being able to go get my hair cut. Um, being able to get a massage every week so that I can work out the sciatica that I have, you know, sitting, sitting all day exacerbates not just some of the physical stuff that we tend to ignore as women on the go, but also it introduces new things that come with our age. And so changing how you move, um, has been really important and really different. And so it's about, I've been evaluating like my relationships, Nikini, like it has been like, do I really want to date or do I want to date in theory? Like mm. all of those things have been bubbling up that were thoughts that I'd be like, oh, I'll deal with that later. I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. And now, like, ha it's 2 a.m. You want to talk about this now or should we wait? Um, and those things have been really at the forefront. And I don't think any of that work that I have to do right now would be possible if it had not been for getting sick. Right. Wow. Well, I have I have goosebumps right now for so many reasons. For one, I am so sorry that you had to experience all of that. How do I say it? Okay, so I struggled for years with an autoimmune disorder. And mm-hmm. I experience chronic muscle pain. I experience mm-hmm. the brain fog regularly. I experience, you know, dizzy spells. I experience the extreme fatigue. All of those symptoms regularly. But I don't talk about it or complain about it like you I'm kind of like the you know keep myself occupied keep busy you know don't focus on it Mm -hmm. and being in quarantine and the whole world is kind of on pause right now because of COVID my symptoms have actually been reversed I'm I'm so used to because of my symptoms having um, these roller coaster rides of depression yeah. and anxiety <laughs> because you're dealing with the brain fog. You know, like you, you t- talked about, even that relationship component where 
are, are you, do you want to be in a relationship? Do you want someone to have to deal with this for the rest of your life? Like there's so many questions, so many questions, so many questions, but right now with the world on pause, I am sitting here in my house and not that I'm hiding from anybody. <laughs> I'm naturally introverted. So I enjoy my alone time, but I'm sitting here in my house and I've had less brain fog. I've been more clear. I have, because I've been taking care of myself, uh, self-care wise, sticking to my regular daily routines and getting enough sleep and drinking my water and having three meals a day and going out every single day for five kilometer walks. I mean, you're in the States, so it's miles, but like, all of those things that I was not able to do pre-pandemic because I was just so busy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just said a whole word. And I think about something I talk about in my uh, when I give talks about the hamster wheel of busy. Mm-hmm. And we just look at it. We put a little food on it. We hop on that thing. And we just be running, just running, running, running. And I am like you, I'm naturally an introvert. It's so funny. I was like, I have such an extroverted life. And yet I was like, oh, you don't want me to come outside for three months? Excellent. Right? So I've been like, yesterday's big purchase, y'all, was an orthopedic chair, pillow for my booty, and one for my bed. And I was like, yes. I'm woman. I have ordered an orthopedic pillow. Yes, I have. <laughs> and I was so excited. I was like, when the doorbell rings tomorrow, I'm going to be so excited. I love it. I rest is on the other end of that pillow. But these are the things that I, you know, just making my space as comfortable as possible. And thankfully I had made my home that way, but like not even extending it to outside. And I feel fortunate that I have a backyard that my my dad will be so happy I'm using the patio furniture he gave me last year. Um, <laughs> <and> so <laughs> being able to be outside and to be able to enjoy the sunshine with some space has been important. And so investing in things that will allow me to work outside. You know, I got ear, ear, ear pods for my phone. I never had that before because I didn't need it. Um, mm-hmm. But I got it because now I can sit outside with ear canceling headphones and work. And mm-hmm. I was like, my favorite thing to do, work outside in beautiful nature. Love it. Um, but to your point, I would not have I would not have chosen to slow down to do any of those things. Right. I did not feel for what's happening now. And so it's caused me to really reassess my work. I, I keep trying to reach for the bright light in this, despite yes. the fact that there are so many painful um, spotlights that I can shine on this. Uh, and yet I am hopeful that some of the new habits that I am bringing into play. So one of them is like a slow start in the morning. I would normally, I don't snooze. So I would normally like pop out of bed, do my prayers, have my gratitude, change my clothes real quick, brush my teeth, run to Pilates studio. Cause I can, I gotta get to the seven thirty class. Cause that's the only class I can get to before my workday starts. And mm-hmm. then race into the day. And now I'm getting up a little bit earlier to like ease into my day right. uh, before I do my morning walk and work out and prayers, et cetera. So I'm hopeful that I will hold on to those things because they definitely have made me a nicer person. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't ever not nice. I am, I am a nice, I'm a very nice person. Um, <laughs> I'm always, I'm always uh, weary of people who are like, I'm such a nice man. I'm such a nice woman. I'm like, eh, are you though? Uh, <laughs> like, who are you trying to convince? No, trying to convince? <laughs> people say that for you. Yeah. Uh, but it has definitely made me um, more pleasant just overall. Cause I'm not on edge. And mm-hmm. I think that's I'm not on edge. I was going to say, I just think it's beautiful that despite your experience with COVID-19 and despite 
what you had to go through and the loss and the grief and the pain and all those other things that you still have hope and that you have been able to find some positive in the experience in how it's changed you as a person or changed your life or, you know, just improved how you view things. Absolutely. I think that that is like my natural disposition period is to be both like pragmatic, but like really hopeful. I always feel like, what is the lesson? Sometimes I look up at the sky, like really Lord, like today, mm-hmm. real, like me again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, cause let, let's just come on and go on through it. And a friend of mine said to me the other day, um, and I'm one of those people that I believe that coaches should have coaches, therapists yep. should have therapists, and I'm, doctors should have doctors. And so, although I coach women, um, I am in a coaching program and have a really good friend of mine who refuses to take my money. <laughs> she refuses. I keep trying to give it to her. <laughs> coach. And one of the things she said to me the other day was, Kashana, you are not a problem to be solved. And because mm. you are a problem solver, you keep trying to solve yourself. That's you have to live. And I was like, well, I need some instructions on how to do that. Cause I don't, what, what is that? And she was like, there you go again. You are preaching to me right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> What? <laughs> so, okay, let, let's sit back for a second. I need to sit back yeah. in my chair. <laughs> because <laughs> you just gave me a word because, you know, like you just said, you, you are a coach. Okay. So, like I said, I can relate to everything that you're saying. I am a coach. I have coaches and mentors. Yes. But like you just said, it's like you're not a problem to be solved. Not at all. I, I am so fascinated and passionate about how the brain works and how we function as people and trying to better understand myself. Like I'm, I'm a personal development junkie. I need to know everything, but it's so that I can dissect myself. And I have been having conversations lately with someone who's really close to me. And he just said to me, like, why, why do, why does everybody have to be in a Petri dish? He's like, I feel like (laughs) when I'm talking to you, I'm in a Petri dish, but it's because I'm dissecting myself and I feel like I'm a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm dissecting everything. And he's like, can you just, just be, just, just live, please. I'm like, I I don't know how to do that. So I'm listening to you and I'm like, yeah, like you are my twin flame girl. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, is my twin flame? And I didn't realize until today. Well, now we know. Now, we know. Way, I will text you like, hello, are you feeling this? Because I would like to understand what I'm going through right now. But it's so true. Like, I'm, I'm a problem solver. I'm always trying to fix things. I have picked up people and relationships and problems over the years from, you know, friendships to husband to first boyfriend after my ma- after my marriage, uh, after my divorce was a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I am always picking up the thing to solve, to fix, mm-hmm. to turn around. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things I've had to really face is sort of my like savior complex in all of that. Yeah. It mean to me when I've gone, aha, I did it. And you can't do that to people. And especially not to yourself. You can have accomplished, you can have a sense of accomplishment in having helped someone see their way to something, but it's not the same as you feeling like you have to be the one to be that driver. And mm-hmm. so that part has been really, really important and helpful to me to really lean into. And so this has been a real learning time. And I find myself checking myself. Mm-hmm. Like, all back. That self-check. Like, yep. Self-check. And I never yep. used to do that. I used to be like, girl, you know, I was, when people ask the question, McKinney, if you want to be loved or you want to be right, I'd be like, I would like to be right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so total random question. I love to ask every woman that comes on the show and so far it's been on point. So let's hope it stays that way. But I came across this article on Reader's Digest that basically says what your favorite type of shoe says about your personality. So I would love to know, Kishana, what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a high heel boot, a running shoe, a walking shoe, a flat, flip flop, a pump, a wedge, a mule? Mm. My favorite shoe is a patent leather pump. Okay. Four inches. (laughs) Patent leather shine and a pointy front. Okay. A well-made insole. Oh, I will step pretty in those shoes. I've worn, <laughs> I wore heels since it was inappropriate to wear heels. I just want you to know. Um, and I love a good stiletto. I love a good heel. I have shoe candy in my closet, McKinney. Mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. Shoes I have worn and do not have any intention of wearing. They are there just for the my satisfaction when I look at them and I go, God. And sometimes I put them on just to strut in the house. Mm. But a <laughs> Pump. I, you know you have shoes that make you feel that way. You're like, of course I do. I'm listening. Mm. I'm like, yeah, you're definitely my twin flame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a pat, something about a black patent leather pump with the right incline. So, does you know when they make it properly, so the toe box is just wide enough for your pinky to fit all the way in, so you don't. Scoop. Yes. Comes back <laughs> in a little point, but the point's not too far over. Now we don't need a, a witch beak, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If you look at any of my shoes and my photographs, you will see that I typically have on some version of a patent leather pump um, that I'm strutting around in and I love it. It just makes me feel glorious. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) pump fans are boss women. So uh, be honest, a pump fan, you're a total girl boss and you know it. You're competitive, resolute, and intimidating to those who cannot keep up with your pace. This is the most mature of all the shoes. It's someone who's caring, efficient, and powerful. They are usually in a leadership role. And when everything is falling down around you, everyone will turn to the pump woman and say, what now? And then the pump will step in and kick ass and take care of business. Does that sound like you? That sounds like me. There you go. Okay. I love it. So, Kishana, tell the people where they can stay connected with you online before we go to the final segment. Absolutely. So you can stay connected with me online across all social media at Fund Diva. And that's F-U-N-D-D-I-V-A. You see? Fundraising. They can't get away from it. Yes. Fund Diva across all Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Um, so that's how you can connect with me. And then if you want to check me out on the web, you can look at my website. It is kishanako.com and that's K-I-S-H-S-H-A-N-A-C-O.com. Awesome. And I will definitely have the links in the detailed section of your episode so they can click and connect with you directly. They don't have to search too far. I love it. So for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And it's just a couple of reflection questions and you sure. share the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Some People, Some Place by J. California Cooper. Okay. What's that about? So J. California Cooper is a, was an author who wrote tons of short stories. That's her style, uh, American author. And she wrote about everyday life and just like the daily happenings of people. And so Some People, Some Place was really just a collection of sto- short stories about how people live and how they love when they're different. So I, uh, one of my favorite stories is a story about a woman who's, uh, 
whose vagina was too big. Whoa, for, was that possible? Yeah, yeah. For all of the, the for, for the stuff she was trying to handle. And then she met a gentleman whose instrument was too big. For, <laughs> you know, but it was just right for each other. And the story weaves about how they came to find each other in the small town and how they were both lonely and sad and what the and what they experienced when they tried to date and find love and then they moved into the same town and found each other. Oh, it was glorious. Okay. Know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I remember it's funny. I also read that inappropriately as a late teenager. <laughs> Whatever. You know, that book. It's a book of short stories, but that that book on uh, some people someplace is one of my favorite. Okay. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Wow. Okay. If I could have a gigantic billboard, it would say live in color. Mm. And it would probably have like some like fantastical, bright and awesome photos of me and or of women who I love who are vivid, vivid in their clothing, vivid in the background. And that's because oftentimes I think we try to fit in or we try to stand out for standing out sake and we're not living while we're doing it. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of my years reaching for the next thing is one of my strengths. I'm futuristic. And when you're reaching for the next thing, you're not enjoying what's happening the in the present. world. And right. so when you live in color, you are enjoying the richness and the fullness of what's happening around you now and appreciating that experience for what it is and not just looking past it to what comes next. Love it. Love it. Okay. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Being vulnerable is actually cool mm-hmm. and okay. I think I spent a lot of my years bottling up like all of my feelings because I needed to like be this person for everybody else. And I found that when I started to reveal my vulnerability about how I felt about my hair or my body or my parenting or my marriage or my credit or how I was dealing with a particular thing, I didn't have to tell people all the private bits, but I could tell Mm -hmm. the most personal bits. And so vulnerability is such a connecting force because ultimately we want to be in community and we want to be seen and we want to know that the things that we're doing and experiencing are not happening in a vacuum and me being able to um, unfold a little bit about myself has allowed me to help so many people and so that has been the thing I think that has really changed me in the last five years. Wow beautiful okay last but not least what do you wish women would do more of? Put themselves first putting themselves first. I, I, yeah. In whatever way that shows up in your life right now, because it means that statement means different things to us at different seasons, in different seasons of our life. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you, Kashana, for taking the time to join us and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. This has been such a joy. And you are such a joy. And I met my twin (laughs) friend in 40 years. You're stuck with me now, girl. Come on, girl. There you go. Welcome. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you forever. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. And don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. Join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkamystilettos.com. And be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person, and I know you can think of more than one, that would receive value from Kashana's testimony, please share it with them. 
Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. You can tag Kishana at FundDiva and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.